Welcome everybody to the next edition of the Pioneer Podcast presented by Centura Health. We are joined today by Coach Jeff Hooker, who leads our women's soccer program. Jeff, welcome. Thanks, Carlton. Appreciate it. Uh, so, Jeff, you've got a great history here at the University of Denver, completing your 28th season in 2019, and also, uh, you know, w with a lot of success, like multiple conference championships, NCAA tournament appearances, many times being named Conference Coach of the Year. So, a decorated, great career. You coached your 600th game, uh, well over 350 wins. It's just a great career to date. Uh, but let's go back before that. Uh, you, your soccer career started as an elite player, uh, really elite junior player, then moving into USA Soccer, played at UCLA, part of the Olympic team. Uh, talk about how you entered the game of soccer. Um, I, I want to say accidentally. Um, I, I grew up in Southern California. We kind of grew up, up in the suburbs of Los Angeles, and competitive soccer wasn't a big thing. Um, there was a, a coach that saw me kicking the ball around, asked me if I come play for uh, his ASO team. So I did that. And then uh, we, we had a, a, a local German guy, an ex-professional guy, that put together the first club team in the area. Um, and there was a lot of hustle and bustle going on about you're taking the best players away from a recreation organization and, and things like that. And, you know, that guy was, um, George Radicek was just um, way ahead of everybody else as far as player development, as far as discipline, you know, and things like that. And I know we're talking discipline when you're, you know, 13 and 14. I got a late start. I didn't start probably till I was 12 years old and then played competitively when I was 13 and 14. And so, you know, you had a guy that taught the discipline and the humility um, at a very young age. And I think um, that, was, that was really one of, the, one of the best things that I had going on for me. Um, that club team, ironically, stayed together all the way through up to where we were uh, under 18s. Uh, remember, heartbreaking loss. We lost to uh, um, a team from Torrance, Torrance United, in the uh, in the state cup final, and that was that was devastating. Uh, mostly because we were the regional champs. You know, the last three years. I remember my the first trip ever traveling. You know, at that at that age as well, went to Las Vegas. So you know, we stayed at Circus Circus, and you know, and did all those things, and then. Um, finally got my crack with the youth national team. Uh, it was my senior year in high school. It was a, a last chance tryout. Um, there were two, three of my other teammates on that same club team. All of those guys were older than I was. Um, so I, I was uh, playing up a year. And the last chance tryout happened to be in Las Vegas. The coach saw me. Then we went to Colorado Springs, had the final tryout before going to the Youth World Cup down in Mexico, which was my first international experience, first international game ever, uh, scored my first international game ever. And um, that, that kind of uh, uh, was the foundation of my career getting into before the U.S. team in college. And, and then you, you were on the U.S. national team and split time between that and your, your college team. How did you balance that? It was tough. Um, with the youth national team, I, I, I came back um, after the Youth World Cup um, I didn't, I didn't um, compete in any of the preseason, which as a soccer player is your dream, right? I was, already, I was already fit. So coming back, you know, my coach and I had a conversation. He said, well, I'm, I'm not going to let you start, but we'll let you play. Um, so then after I got a hat trick that game, I was instilled as a starter after that game. So um, that first couple years were a lot of travel. Um, the 1984 Olympics that led into that, at that time, they didn't have the waiver, and that's why I think the waiver um, came after that fact. And so because I competed in the Olympics, I went to school one quarter. We were on the uh, quarter system as well. 
and that's what we did is just travel around the country. Um, so that was, you know, looking back being, you know, 17, 18, 19 years old and just traveling around the world, actually, up until the time of the Olympics uh, was just an unbelievable experience for a young kid like myself. And, and you remain involved with uh, the national team, I think, through 87. And then what was your transition like from being that elite level player? And did you go immediately into coaching? Um, you have a great memory. <laughs> um, and no, the last thing I ever wanted to do was, was coach, actually. Um, I had uh, my, my senior year at UCLA, um, Ziggy Schmidt was my coach, uh, one of my, one of my uh, uh, great mentors. Steve Sampson, who uh, went on to be the national team coach, was the assistant coach at the time. He was really the guy that recruited me. Um, Steve broke off, got, his, got a job at Santa Clara. And what I came across is we played each other my senior year. And those guys really got into it. They were about five feet apart, MFing each other, every you know, swear word you ever heard. And I looked over and I said, I don't want to be those guys. And I think that, that was one, one thing that I held on to for a long time that I said, I, I, I never want to be a college coach. I never want to be a pro coach because of that. So um, coaching was kind of came later in the, in the distant uh, future. But my, uh, my segue... Um, after college, after the U.S. team, um, played professionally in, in Los Angeles, and then that team folded. I got a phone call from Colorado, and they said, why don't you come out to Colorado and play? So super fortunate. Um, really wasn't a fan of the coach, but the coach <laughs> go. A new guy came in um, who, was, who was awesome, and then uh, they, they signed me to a contract here, and I've been here ever since. So. So that that experience from youth to elite national college, then into professional soccer as a player, uh, when you did transition into coaching, how did that elite level experience as a player help you start coaching and be a better coach? Man, that, that's a good question. Um, I, I was so um, fortunate, I guess the right word, looking back at the coaches that I had. And when, when you look back at the youth national team coaches, even, you know, an assistant coach in college, being a national team coach, you learn little things from everybody. Um, what, I, what I kind of went back and I did, um, I did a little exercise, and I know it's done the opposite way with a lot of different people, is a lot of the coaches, when, when they started out that were my age, said, I'm not going to do that, I'm not going to do that, I'm not going to do that, and, and, and they knocked those things off. And what I try to do is I try to take the two or best, three best qualities from every single coach and put that together and said, how close can I come to being like this person was with this? Now, you're going to have a different personality. Your strengths are going to be different. And that's why you have a staff, you know, to do things like that. Um, what I had to do when I was coaching is I had, to draw, I had to draw a lot from, you know, from what lessons in the meetings, individual, individual meetings I had, you know, with those guys, my uh, uh, Olympic team coach. Uh, Alkis Panagoulias, uh, who's passed away now. He was the Greek national team coach. And if you look at the Olympics, I was maybe 18 and the closest, I was a freshman in college. The closest in age was a senior graduating, you know, and everybody else, they were all professional players, you know, that had missed the 80 Olympics. And so they were all, you know, pro contract and pro contract players. And he just came to me and he said, um, you understand everything. Keep listening to what I'm telling you and do what I'm telling you. And just talk about like a hard-nosed guy, a heavy smoker, you know, he'd sit on the bench and smoke a pack of game, that kind of guy. And, and for that guy to 
Alkis to, to come back and choose those words and tell me, because I know he wasn't telling the other guys that, you know what I mean? And so those are little things that, that you know, I, I took from Alkis that I took from Ziggy. You know, one of Ziggy's big things I would go when he was with uh, um, the LA and Seattle in the preseason, and I would, I would watch him and I would, I would ask him questions. I would say, why did you do that? Why, why, why is this going on? And, and one of the pieces of advice he gave me, you know, as far as, you know, even being a coach and, and player development and communication and establishing those relationships, he said, you know what, it's a preseason. Pick, pick one or two players before training, just go talk to them. Why they're juggling. They come out and just go talk to them, see how they're doing. After training, do the same thing. No one has to rush off and no one has to do anything. So I, I really made that a practice in my preseason you know, to look and to say, okay, you have time. No one has to rush off to class. There's no excuse to go anywhere, or do anything. So you fill the time, you know, in that extra time where you could be off with your coaches talking about the session. You can always do that later, but you're kind of picking and choosing a player uh, to kind of inter interact with as far as that goes. Um, as far as my training sessions, those were the hardest things because I had never, I had never coached at a high level before. I coached youth kids, coached little kids. Uh, the advantage that I had is I was still playing professionally when I had the job at the University of Denver. So for me, it was it was almost as if I, I would I would go to my 10 o'clock training with the Colorado Foxes, and then I'd say, hmm, is that a good session for the guys' team? Is that a good session for the girls? How can I modify it to college kids? And then I would go back to my coaches who I had a good relationship with, who were pro guys that had been around the youth game, so they they could tie that all together. And that really helped me sort of begin to learn how to develop and put a team together. And, and Jeff, when I've come to your practices and, and watched you coach and watch you during games, it's very much you're a teacher. And, and, and soccer is a game of, of spacing and strategy and patience. And, and it's, it's, uh, you've got to have discipline to play this game. Uh, did that come naturally to you? Do you think you picked that up naturally? Did you have to learn how to teach what you already knew? No, it, it became natural. Um, trying to, I, I would say looking back at the conversation that, that August had with myself uh, before the Olympics, after getting picked to that team, and then um, my, my career uh, playing before the MLS was here, you know, professionally with the Foxes, and the way I was described a lot as this is our coach on the field. And so, you know, for me, my personal goal was to play till I was 30. Um, and right, I think before I was 30, I tore my ACL, was coaching at the University of Denver, kind of had to make some decisions. And uh, I remember talking to Jack McDonald at the time, who hired me, and I said, Jack, you know, I, I want to go back and play. You know, is this going to be okay? He said, you do whatever you want. You're doing a great job as a coach. If you can go back and play after this injury, go back and play. And I think that's what allowed me those last, um, you know, three, four, five years to continue to play because I might not have been physically the best player coming off an ACL surgery, but I, I think the wisdom that I had, um, you know, gathered throughout the time, um, it, it, it did come kind of natural to me. So Jeff, let's transition to your experience here at the University of Denver as the, as the coach and, and you have seen it all happen, right? Uh, 28 years, you've seen the transition to Division One. you've seen the construction of the Ritchie Center of the soccer stadium. I mean, you've seen it all. Uh, can you just uh, give us a snapshot of what that experience has been like to, to be here during that whole time? Yeah, you know, the, the, the thought that really sticks out in my mind was um, how excited that everybody was when Chancellor Ritchie um, started to get the rumor out that we were gonna go to Division One, but in order to go to Division One, we needed a, a kick butt facility is what we needed. 
And so um, we, we've, I, I've always respected um, the heck out of that guy. And he, I mean, he's been tremendous for our university and still is, uh, but he took the time to go out and do the research and, and try to look at all the facilities and, and, you know, you look at what we have now, thinking about how long that was built to have a more multi-sport uh, facility there in the thought process with him and, and Bernie Mullen of what, in, what went into that is, is absolutely amazing. But what I remember a lot is, um, you know, during that construction, we didn't really have offices, right? And you had your makeshift. It was, it was kind of a trust factor. You're going to show up in your pod over in the dorm room, uh, or, or are you just going to take the day off and you're going to go play golf, you know? And it was kind of a trust factor. You know, there were trailers everywhere, um, tractors. There were certain areas you weren't allowed to walk in, and you never knew what those areas were. Um, Nikki Brunkhart was uh, there back in that time, and she was great because we had things um, like a, a and, and um, uh, workman's comp would probably kill us this day, this day and age, but we'd have a bicycle race, an obstacle course, inside the dorm room in between offices out of office that was timed right and being competitive right still playing in that time you tell me i didn't win that one right so right. You look at all the things that we had to be creative with and, and to come up with uh but that transition time from division two to division one um it, it couldn't have been a better time we had some great people in place uh to do that and to take us take us into that uh but th those memories of just the trailer offices and the parks and all the dirt being moved around um, and just really, you had to be disciplined. You had, you had so much freedom to do whatever you want. And, you, you know, you really ha had to like the people that you were working with. So one thing that's, that's really humbling for me and so grateful to be here uh, at the University of Denver is, is when you look at the history of our athletic division, uh, the great leaders and coaches that have become come before us and you've had the opportunity to work with many of them uh, peg you mentioned jack you mentioned bernie uh, ron graham uh, talk a little bit about some of the things you've learned from those great leaders and working with them over the years you know um one of, one of my things about me is I, I feel like i'm a positive person right so you say i on a scale of one to ten where's your positivity level you know even i, I might appear to be grumpy you know but you know, uh, on the outside, hopefully I'm not, and I'm, I'm towards that 10, you know, for the most part. Um, and, um, you know, looking back at those people that were in place and, and some of those leaders, I mean, Jack McDonald, you couldn't, in have, you couldn't go in and have a conversation where he wasn't laughing and yucking up a storm and telling jokes. And, you know, that, that, that was your boss. And, you know, so for that to be my first boss um, was great. Um, um, you know, going, going all the way through, um, I, I think Peg came at the absolute perfect time where the university needed just a little shift in a different type of leadership. And um, just her ability to, um, I mean, she, she had such good knowledge, but I think what she had to learn is I'm in a position of power. We have people across campus and her ability to negotiate things on this side and that side was to me was just outstanding you know i know a lot of her last you know years here were just spent on pr you know and 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 with ron kind of running the sport programs you know day to day and, and her going across campus and and mending things and be a spokesman you know for herself um going back i think joel maturi um was probably one of the one of the best influences i've had in the sense of if I didn't do something right, he would bring me in his office and he would tell me. And he, he never, never cared how I reacted. He didn't say, 
anything about if I was angry or mad or yelled back at him or, or was confrontational or anything like that. But by the time we left, we understood each other. And I really respected that because there's, I think there's always times when you're a younger coach that you need to take a step back and you need someone to set you straight, right? And you need the right person to set you straight and you have to be open for that. And he was willing to do that. So, he, you know, he did that on a couple of, uh, of occasions in a, in a really nice, uh, nice way. One of them a little bit more abrupt than others. But, you know, looking back at that, um, the people that I've had here have been fantastic. You know, the one people, people ask me how, you know, the reason I've been here so long and the, the one consistent of that is really is Ron Graham. You know, and people ask me, how come he didn't leave? And I said, well, if you knew how many times I was going to leave and how many conversations I had and how many times I, in my mind, came back and said, hey, Ron, confidentially, I just want to say I got one foot out the door. I'm going to go do this. I'm going to go, you know, to a professional team, to another college team. This is the direction I'm going to go. I just wanted you to know first. And a couple of days would go by. We'd have a phone conversation. And he would say, what have you been thinking? And I said, well, what have you been thinking? And so you know, we would have that conversation. And he was, he just is being the calmest and one of the most in, in intellectual people of knowing me, I think is, is really what helped. Um, he didn't talk me out of it, but he talked me out of it. And, you know, there were so many other things that, you know, you don't think about when you think the grass is greener sometimes. And he just put those things in front of me. And by the end of the conversation and two days after that, you know, all I could say to him is, Ron, hey, thanks for the conversation. Do I still have my job or did you give it away? You know, have you, have you put it out there yet? And so um, he, he, was, he was just um, a great mentor to me in every way. You know, you look at someone who was a college All-American, played professionally, and then was your boss, you know. And, and that's why I always tell my team that that's a guy that I'll always respect uh, my whole life. Ron is one of the great Denver pioneers, there's no question. And I'm grateful I had a, a year to work with him and get to know him. And, and what I learned towards the end is that guy liked to have fun too. And uh, <laughs> he, he, he liked to have fun with, with our coaches yeah. and our student athletes. And it was just a great, great influence over the years. Uh, so, so let's turn our attention to, to current times and, and the program as it stands today. You've been extremely competitive, perennial uh, regular season tournament champions in the Summit League, always getting that NCAA bid, wins over great programs. Uh, we, we got a great win over a huge college athletics brand like the University of Texas this, back, this past season. Uh, give us your evaluation on the program as it stands today. Yeah, and you know, to, to be honest, you have to give the administration credit too because you guys have allowed us to play those games. You know, we've had some very historic games even back in the Division II day. We beat Lynn, who was defending national championships. We beat Stanford at a tournament in CU when they were number one in the country. Um, and, and, and what our administration has done is they've allowed us to get these games on our schedule. Now, it was a little bit heavy this past fall. And, and um, I would say, you know, the coaching staff had to get together after maybe the first six games and talk about, you know, the process that we're going through. Are we doing things the right way? We got to hang on to what we're telling the kids because we might not be getting the results, you know, that we, you know, like the, uh, the loss against Washington on the road in an own goal. You know, they're, you know, top 25 in the country and you go on the road and you win, we, you win one of those days. It makes you think about doing things different. But I think um, this team this fall, really held on to, you know, what are we going to do every day? Uh, looking back to what we aspire to be as a program, you know, uh, being family oriented, um, the, the ability of our leadership group uh, to grow and to expand and be willing to, um, you know, basically 
take criticism, you know, and everything else that, that they did. Um, looking at next fall, first of all, you know, we're, we're hopeful that the NCAA can, uh, you know, give us some sort of season. If it's shortened, it's shortened and that's the way it is. But we, we see our team, we're going to have a heavy senior team and a freshman team. So we're going to be kind of weight heavy on this side and uh, um, heavy on the bottom side. It'll be the biggest roster that we've ever had. So that'll be one of our challenges. The last time I, I, I feel that we had this much competition for each spot, our team was in the round of 16. You know, we beat, uh, um, uh, gosh, forget who we beat um, on the road uh, and then lost to uh, Stanford, who was number one in the country. Um, and, you know, that team to date is a team that's, that's gotten us the furthest in the NCAA tournament. This is one of those teams that can rival that team. And when you have that day in and day out competition every day and you have the players that are, that are committed, uh, we're really looking forward to next fall. And you mentioned a large senior class, which means a lot of experience um, and an older group. Uh, when you think about leadership and, and, and the expectation around leadership in your program from your, from your athletes, uh, what are the values? How does that look uh, from a leadership standpoint? You know, uh, and if you look at this team specifically, uh, a lot of what we do for the, for the next fall, we start in the spring. So we get a leadership group together and we sit and we talk and we meet about, um, you know, various things. Um, what we've done specifically is, is um, we have um, smaller, kind of an executive leadership group and we have smaller titles. So for instance, one of those is a field driver. Well, what's the definition of a field driver? You know, what does a field driver do? And you would think, okay, that's the most competitive person that wants to make sure on the field that our training is set the way it is every day. You know, we, we say we're going to come up and we're going to go through the process of being prepared every day, getting better every day, uh, complimenting each other um, and everything else. But we feel it starts in the locker room, right? So those field drivers, they start as people walk in. Can you look at people's faces? You know, we're, um, you know, I'm a male coach coaching females. So we have our separation. You know, we have a lounge area that I would sit in, um, you know, at times. And, and then uh, the girls have their own room in the back. And so it's up to those field drivers to look everybody in the eye every day and say, hey, what's wrong? Are you prepared? Are you ready? You know, I saw, or after a training, hey, I saw on the field, you know, you were a little bit down when the coach got on you. Um, and I think those things, you know, when you talk about uh, leadership is, you know, those day-to-day -day processes of having the players buy in, right? You can, as a coach, you can have your list of things that you think are important. If the players don't think they're important, then either you have the wrong players or, or you have the wrong uh, lists of, of things up there. And so for us during the spring is a lot of getting those buy-in to what the team's going to look like because every, every team's going to be different. You know, some team's going to lead a little bit more help. You know, some teams you just sit back and you coach. I remember there was a couple different years. I felt like a professional coach. I'm like, okay, tinker with this and this. You know, I have my 15 players that I know are going to play. And now it's just about, you know, uh, positioning and little things about what the other team's going to do. And then you get another group and you're like, oh, my gosh, I really, we got to start a little bit, you know, kind of a ground zero. We got to work up. We got to get these guys confidence. Where does confidence come from? And, you know, that whole thing starts. So. You were funny this past season after the Texas win. I just came down to the field to shake your hand and you said to me, uh, I'm not sure what to tell the team. They played <laughs> as good as they could play. You know, it's got those moments have got to be fun, though. No, they were, and you know what? Um, normally, I'll I'll go and and after every game, sit back and Katie always, my wife wants wants to go and watch them and sit back. So, if it's a Sunday game, we'll get the kids bed and put it on. Uh, it, you know, same thing on a Thursday or Friday. Um, but 
after watching us play, I, I felt like we were going to be in the final four. I said, this is going to be easy. All we have to do is play like the, every player, play like they did in this game, and then we're going to get to the final four. And then what happened? Next game you play, this player isn't quite as good. This player gets injured. You know, and it's, it's, uh, it, it is good, though. And, and um, you know, the, the team appreciated, you know, you guys being out there and, and the support we had that day. And, again, I think, you know, my – my mentality after the game was don't tell them the wrong thing. Don't tell them how great they are. Uh, pat them on the back. Tell them that they were great. But then, you know, we got to think about how to continue to play at this level all the time. And uh, so let's transition to talk about the game in general. Uh, I was, I was, grew up in Chapel Hill, North Carolina. So women's soccer has been a part of my sports world for a long time from Mia Hamm and then uh, working there and, and watching uh, the women's program there. In many ways in, in our country, in the U.S., the women's game uh, is, is, is more broadly exposed than the men's game. Uh, how do you use that to your advantage in recruiting and different things to help build the program here? Well, first of all, I think, well, the, the disadvantage that we have is is uh, in the state of Colorado, there's five division one programs, right? On the men's side, you have Air Force and Denver, you know, v uh, vastly different. So, you know, for us, it's been how many of the top five players, how many of the top 10 players can we get each year and where are those players going to come from? Um, you know, so far we've, we've had, you know, a great relationship in the community with the local clubs and the club coaches. And I think, you know, when it comes down to a player making a decision, you know, a lot of times now they're sophomores and juniors in high school, right? And so that family is going to go back to the coach, their club coach, and say, you know, I know Jeff knows his X's and O's, but is this program, is this group, are these assistant coaches, head coaches, are they going to, are they going to take care of my daughter, right? And so the tighter you are and the close-knit you are with the community and those club coaches, I think the more apt that club coach is going to, is going to say, don't worry about that, that aspect of it. You're going to get competition. You're going to be able to play against whoever you want in the country. And these, these, the, all this group is going to come in and, and take care of your daughters once they come in. And so, you know, for us, you know, I think we've done a great job in the community, but I, I don't think the job's ever done. You know, you see, when you see the amount of ball girls we have and the, the ones five to, to 10 coming to, to free camps and clinics and you're giving them a ticket and they come back to the game and say, hey, coach, you remember me? You know, I mean, it's, um, that, that just brings, it, it brings joy to you. Well, Jeff, you said it. the job is never done, but unfortunately our time here today is done. And I uh, just want to thank you again. We're so grateful for your service to the University of Denver 28 years and the tremendous amount of success that you've achieved to date. And we can't wait for the next, uh, what the future holds for the women's soccer program at DU. Thanks. And, and I know Carlton, as I, I texted you um, the other day, going, you know, going through what we're going through, we, we could not ask for a better leader as far as all the coaches being out, being behind you and having to make all these decisions. And, you know, we're going to know 1% of those decisions that you had to make on a daily basis. So hang in there. You have our support and continue to do a great job. Thanks, Jeff. Take care.